thank God that we can hear, but thank God he sends folks who can't and gives them the abilities to communicate. Just a side note, remember at one time they were questioning whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. And some came and asked him and asked his disciples. And they came to Jesus and said, what can we say to prove who you are? And Jesus said, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and the people possessed by demons are freed. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we can hear. Thank you, Lord, that we can read the Word of God. Thank you, Father, that together as the body of Christ we can worship you. And, Lord, I pray in these moments that the Holy Spirit of God will take the very words of Jesus the Son and assure and comfort our hearts that he is who he said he was, that he is the Son of God, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that when men come unto him, they have the way to the Father. Father, bless and speak through me. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the third sermon on promises yet to be realized. This morning, I just want to read chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. Follow with me as they'll be on the overhead. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, or as the King James has it, many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. In the last two Sundays, we have learned that Jesus, before he left the earth, promised these disciples. He promised you and me. Jesus promised every generation of believers the things that he spoke in verses 1 through 6. And before we look at these promises in verses 1 through 6, and you remember that we got started on all of this because we, we taught the first three Sundays in December about can we believe the Christmas story. And one of the reasons that we gave that we can believe the Christmas story is that it is the Word of God. And I want to remind you of John 17, 7, and Sarah's going to pull that up. Jesus said, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. Now, probably all of us have known and heard this verse, but let me tell you how it really impacted me, and pardon me for being personal again, but the Awanas are learning this verse as one of their verses, the smaller, the younger children that meet on Sunday nights. And when I heard my three-year-old granddaughter Say this expression, thy word is truth. It just blessed my heart. Because, folks, the world is seeking truth. The truth is right before us in the word of God and in the Son of God who became flesh and dwelt among us. 
If we can believe what God the Father said about sending His Son, then we can believe what the Son of God says about His coming back again. And I want you to be reminded over and over again that these words came from the lips of the Son of God. In verses 1 through 6, these verses contain exhortations. Now, I know that's a, that's a church word, but an exhortation, I believe, could be described or defined as an encouraging command. An encouraging command. So in these verses, Jesus is going to give encouraging commands and promises. And folks, again, remember what can solve the anguish of the disciples. And folks, remember their anguish and struggle is coming because Jesus has told them that he is going to lead them and that he is going to Jerusalem to die. And listen to what he says in verse 1. And let me read this in several translations, okay? In the Revised Standard, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. The King James Version, ye believe in God, believe also in me. The New International, trust in God, trust also in me. The Living Bible, you're trusting God, now trust me. But folks, listen to what it says in the J.B. Phillips. And again, I'm reading all of these just to get the full understanding and impact of what Jesus said. In the J.B. Phillips, you must hold on to your faith in God and to your faith in me. Jesus has been trying to teach them and show them the truth of John 10.30. Let me remind you again of this verse. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. One of the most profound statements in the Gospel of John. That Jesus is God. Whatever Jesus says, it is the word from God. Whatever Jesus does, it is an action resembling his Father who is in heaven. And folks, if Jesus says these words, they're coming from the Father. Jesus' death and resurrection will truly help them to see within a couple of days that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is trying to tell them that by firm faith in God the Father and Himself as the Son, they could relieve their soul's sorrow and be sustained in the test that they would soon be facing. And folks, there's something that I couldn't help but pick up for my own personal uh, strength as a Christian. You and I will not understand who Jesus is until we understand why he died on the cross and that he was raised from the dead. And folks, it is so important that you and I understand that Jesus went to Jerusalem. These disciples were struggling with this. We live over 2,000 years later. People, I think, even within the church, struggle with why did Jesus go to the cross? If he is the Son of God, could he have not have done something that would have saved mankind any other way except shedding his blood? But that was the plan of the Father. And folks, his resurrection from the dead is a sure assurance to us that we too, even if we die, we will be raised to life again. So verse 1 is an encouraging command for us to believe in him as we believe in God the Father. But verse 2 has promises. Listen to this. And folks, I want to look at the latter part of the verse before we look at the first part of it. 
why will Jesus be leaving them? Why? And in the latter part of verse 2, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Folks, where did Jesus go? Well, first of all, let me point something out. Hasn't God always been preparing for his children? You know, it it never really dawned on me in reading these words, but that the Old Testament and the New Testament is an assurance that God prepares for his children. When God created Adam and Eve, why did he prepare for them before their creation? The Garden of Eden. When God calls Abraham out, and I'm just going to give just, just a couple of examples, folks, and, and God promised Abraham that he would give his nation a land. The land of Canaan was a land that God had already prepared for them. And it was one of the most fertile areas on the earth. Folks, God is always preparing for his children. As human parents, don't we prepare for our children? Folks, God has always prepared for his children. In the New Testament, Jesus was building a church on earth. And now as he departs from them, he is preparing a house for that church and his people in heaven. Heaven, a prepared place for you and I. But folks, listen to what he says. In my father's house, in my father's house. Never notice this. I'm not a person who sits down and counts, but Warren Wiersbe says that in John chapter 13 through John 17, the word Father, as describing God, is used 53 times. 53 times. God the Father, my Father, in my Father's house are many rooms, are dwelling places, are mansions. And folks, I think what Jesus is trying to say here, and according to Jesus, heaven is a real place. Heaven is the place where God dwells and where Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Jesus describes heaven as God's home, as his home, and as a place that God, his Son, have prepared for you and me who trust in him as our personal Savior. And folks, let me just say a couple other things about what Scripture says about heaven. In 2 Peter chapter 2, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 11, and let me read this to you, okay? And this is out of the Living Bible. And again, folks, we put Scripture up here to back up what we're saying. And for you to have this as assurance, listen to what Peter says, And God will open wide the gates of heaven for you to enter into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heaven is the eternal kingdom of God and of God's Son. And not only is it His eternal kingdom, listen, heaven is an inheritance of the believer. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, and again, this will be on the screen. Listen to this. And again, Peter speaking, And God has reserved for His children the priceless gift of eternal life. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Now, let me ask you something. How many of us have have been concerned about what we would inherit from maybe our earthly parents or somebody within our family or somebody that we, we perhaps helped or that loved us? Folks, none of it will compare with the inheritance of the believer 
Again, God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life. And folks, I want to point something out here. If we say that we don't know if there's a heaven and we don't know if there's life after death as Christians, we are calling God and his son a liar and his word. That's pretty strong, isn't it? But that's exactly what we're doing. Now, I think it's okay to have doubts, but folks, here it is in black and white. Here it is from the lips of Jesus himself. And in Hebrews chapter 11, heaven is described as a city and a country for the believer. Listen to this. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And folks, again, in Revelations, the last couple of chapters, that city is described in detail. But folks, again, listen. In my Father's house are many rooms or mansions. What is Jesus' main emphasis here? Is it the size of the house or the dwelling? Or is Jesus emphasizing that we will be present with the Lord? I believe it's present with the Lord. But let me tell you something. When God does something, he doesn't do it halfway, does he? This earth in many places is so very beautiful, but I cannot imagine the beauty of the place that God has prepared for us. God is in heaven. His Son is preparing a place for all believers, and each place will be beautiful. I've told you this story before, and I know it, but I want to mention it again because of the impact it had on my heart and my life. While I was in college, there was a, a small church that started in the town of Manning, South Carolina. It was a split off from the First Baptist Church, and it became Second Baptist Church. And because I was called into the ministry, they were waiting for an older man who was soon to retire that had promised that in retirement he would come and help that young struggling church. And there would be several months between, and they asked me to come and preach. And I wanted to do it. It was a good opportunity for me to preach. And so I would go to that church. I'd drive down there on Sunday morning and preach in the morning and, and, and on Sunday nights. And... and the people there were wonderful. But there was an older gentleman who came to church every Sunday in a pair of clean bib overalls and a clean flannel shirt. Someone always brought him because he didn't have a vehicle and someone always took him back home. And it was obvious that he was a poor man, and, and I say this in no disrespect, he was uneducated also. But he was always an encouragement to me. And, and the last Sunday I was there, he asked me, he said, Preacher, would you come home and eat lunch with me? I said, I'll be glad to. I needed to give him a ride home. And, of course, I didn't have a car at that time myself. I borrowed my mama's car. And, and I can still remember driving him home. And, and you know, I, I thought it would be a, a, a small farmhouse. And my aunts and uncles had lived in those. But... I was not prepared for what I went to because this man lived on an old plantation and he literally lived in a slave house. That house did not have a floor except the ground. I'm telling you the truth. When I walked into the house and his sister was in there, it was a dirt floor. It was a hand pump for water. And what was so astounding, within a hundred or 200 yards of his house was a big, beautiful home that had just been apparently built. 
But that man was so proud of his home. And I sat down and ate a meal like I've never eaten before. And I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit afraid because when I walked in the house, a big yellow tomcat was sitting on the table, but his sister just shushed it away. (laughs) But folks, I thought about the home that God had prepared for that man in heaven. He was uneducated and surely had so very little earthly possessions. But he was proud to invite me home and to share a meal with me. Folks, God has prepared a home for us. But there's a greater message in this passage of Scripture. There's another great lesson for us in the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. Jesus has prepared, is preparing a home for believers in heaven, but does that mean that we can't be with him until we get to heaven, until you and I go to heaven? Folks, Last Sunday, I mentioned this. I want to mention it again, John 14, 23. And that's why I've asked you to read this chapter, and that's why I've tried to outline it, okay? Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And listen to this. We will come to him and make our home with him. And folks, you remember earlier in John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus promised the disciples after he was taken away, he would send the Holy Spirit. And folks, listen to these two verses. And I will pray the Father, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And folks, Here is my point. We are never forsaken, never abandoned by our Heavenly Father, by His Son, or by His Spirit. Because, folks, the picture is this. Each day, Jesus lives in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the presence of the Father and other Son. And throughout eternity, we will dwell in a heavenly place He has prepared for us. If this is not stirring your hearts, and I'm not asking you to say amen or anything like this, but folks, this is what Jesus says to you and to me as believers. And folks, I can't help but want to read Psalms 23, verse 6, and just reflect on this. You remember, and David says, said this hundreds of years before the coming and the promises of Christ. Listen to what he says. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell where? In the house of the Lord forever. Folks, God's Spirit witnesses to our spirits that there is a home beyond this world, and it is a heavenly home that the Son has promised for us. Well, let's not tarry. Let's look at verse 3. Listen to promises in verse 3. Listen to this. Jesus said, I will come again. And folks, this is a clear promise of our Lord's return for his people. Now, how will Jesus return? Some of us will go to heaven through the valley of the shadow of death. We'll die. Let me just read to you promises of Jesus, John 11, 25, and 26. And I pray that you know these words. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he live, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And listen 
to 2 Corinthians 5.8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Folks, you see what Paul is saying? When we depart this life, when our heart stops beating, when we die, we are present with the Lord. He's prepared a place for us. Here's a loving Heavenly Father. Here's a Savior who has given Himself so that we could have eternal life. I didn't get a friend to put this on the, on the board, but Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me say that again. To die is gain. We don't have to fear death. It's going to be a gain for us as the children of God. And folks, if Jesus had died and stayed in the grave, then we couldn't trust in these words. But Jesus died and he rose from the grave. You can preach a sermon anywhere at this point. I think some of you could jump up and bear witness to the, to the peace that God puts in your heart. We're going to meet the Lord either through death or through, secondly, the rapture of the church when Christ returns for his church. And I just want to read these words to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And I pray that you'll mark these down, okay? But we would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning those who are asleep. And this is Paul's way of saying the people that have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or died. For this we declare to you by the word of who? The Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the archangels called, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. Then we who are alive, who are left, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And let me stop right there for just a second. I believe the first Sunday, you remember we read John, uh, excuse me, Acts 1.11, where Jesus is taken up from them into heaven, and the two angels say, Why do you gaze into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken into heaven will come again in like manner on the clouds. He'll come again. Paul has given wisdom and revelation of this coming, and he says we'll meet the Lord in the air. If Jesus Christ comes back today and you and I are born again into the kingdom of God, we will be taken up from this earth to meet the Lord in the air, so says the word of God itself. That's not me. That's the word, okay? And if you've got trouble with that, talk to God about it. I'm just telling you what he says, okay? And I'm not trying to be a smart aleck this morning, okay? And secondly... If Jesus is coming again for us, where is he going to take us? Listen to what it says in verse 3. And take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And that's pretty plain, isn't it? When Jesus comes back, either through death or through the rapture, he is going to take us where? To where he is. Now, where is Jesus? Listen to John 17, 24. Okay, John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me may be with me where I am, to behold my glory which thou hast given me in thy love for me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God. And when he comes back for us, his church, if we're living at that moment, will be taken to be with him. Now, in verse 4, there's exhortation and promise. 
Jesus said, you know the way where I am going. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has been showing them the way. But think for just a moment how God has been showing you and me the way. Before we came to know Christ as Savior, and I've said this before, I want to say it again. God puts people in our path to help us know the way to heaven. It might be a Christian parent or grandparent, a Christian spouse, a Christian sibling, a Christian co-worker, a Christian neighbor, a Christian friend. God's going to put somebody in your path to show you the way to Him. He has put the presence of the church in the world. And folks, not all church members are hypocrites or play actors. So that's not going to wash with God, okay? Now sometimes all of us like, act like hypocrites, don't we? But God has put His witness in the world. I saw Christ in Maldabias. Jesus Christ is revealing Himself hopefully through each and every one of us. And folks, also there's a preaching of the Word of God. How can they hear without the preaching of the Word? Folks, the preaching of the Word, and I'm not saying this to save my job, the preaching of the Word of God, whether it's from the pulpit in the Sunday school classroom in the small Bible study groups, the preaching of the Word of God is so important because it points people to the cross and to the Savior and to the resurrection to heaven. Jesus is saying, you know the way. And bless Thomas's heart. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Now, let me ask you something. When you've tried your best to explain something to somebody, and they say, I don't understand, don't you have a tendency to get offended and get a little bit ill? But did Jesus? No, he didn't. Listen to this. Jesus did not get offended at Thomas. Now, how do we know that? I'll read these verses to you out of John chapter 20, okay? Listen to this. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came after his resurrection, okay? So the other disciples told them, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the prints of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. All of us know this story. Eight days later, His disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut, but Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, I'd love to have been there just to see the expression on Thomas' face. Jesus said, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but believing. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Folks, listen. It's so sad that they had all the information about Jesus, but they did not put it together until after his death and resurrection. Sunday after Sunday, you come to this place, and I hope that the Word of God is shared under the Spirit of God and in power and in truth. Have you put it together yet? Because listen to verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to, no one comes to the Father but by me. Folks, listen to what Jesus tells Thomas and the disciples and you and me. Number one, not everybody is going to heaven. 
Only those who have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. And there are people I know that are saying that's a lie. You can get to heaven many ways. Well, let me read to you out of the Word of God, Acts 4.12. Under the Spirit's power, Peter says these words. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. This is not Fran's fault. It is my fault. The next passage of Scripture, and this is the last one I'm going to be reading this morning, and I want to just tell you this passage of Scripture, 1 Timothy 2, verses 4 to 6. We've got on the screen. Sarah, you don't have to put this up. Just take that down, okay? I gave her the wrong. It was 1 Timothy instead of 2 Timothy. Would you turn in your Bibles to that? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. I want to point something out. God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit want everybody to go to heaven. Don't ever doubt that. There will never be a sinner so sinful that Jesus will not save him if he will reach out and ask for the blood of Christ to be applied. Listen to this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4, 5, and 6. who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony to which was born in the proper time. Folks, not everybody is going to heaven, only those who have trusted Christ. But God wants all men saved. And secondly, Jesus does not simply teach the way or point the way. He is the way. And thirdly, Jesus' words, No man comes to the Father but by me, wipes away other man-made ways to heaven. Listen again, and I'm saying this from a heart of love. Good works are wonderful things, but they'll not save you. Religious ceremony, coming to church is a wonderful thing, but it will not save you. Giving costly gifts to God and to the church are wonderful things, but they will not save you. There's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, and He is the Savior of the world. As I close these three sermons may I speak first of all if you've not yet trusted Christ and again hear this from a heart of love how do you plan to get to heaven outside of Jesus how do you plan to get to heaven because Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father but by me I pray that the Spirit of God will help you understand that He is the Savior. Early one morning this past week, I was sitting there drinking my last cup of coffee, and I cut the TV on, and I'd already seen the news, so I flipped it over to Channel 4 for some strange reason. And they always have those travel programs. You know, I, I don't travel 
probably never will. I probably never see Thailand, but he was uh, the, the guy. And I forget what his name was. He was on one of the islands off of the coast of Thailand, and he was talking about how religious the people were. They had temples scattered everywhere. They had they felt like their God inhibited houses, so they had to build a little house for every God. And their houses, their outbuildings, their yards. And they had a lot of monuments under, I'm probably going to get this wrong, I think it was a banshee tree. Because they said that's where Buddha died, under a banshee tree. And so all the banshee trees would have religious memorials around them. But you know what they didn't say? They didn't say Buddha raised from the dead. The Word of God says he was risen from the grave. He came back. That's a whole other sermon. Folks, what I'm saying is, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And folks, to you and I as Christians who are saved, through the mercy and grace of God, one day we'll get to go home to heaven where Jesus has prepared us a place. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for your Son and most especially for His words, for His promises, for His encouraging commands. Lord, I'm only a man. And so often I feel like I falter and fail. I repeat myself. So often I choose the wrong words. So often, Lord, I don't make points plain. But Father, I thank you for the words of your Son and the Word of God. And I thank you, Father, that through the Spirit of God, you connect with the hearts and minds of those that do not yet know you as Savior as well as Christians. And Father, I pray, especially in these moments, if there are people who have not yet trusted Christ, that the Spirit of God would help them to see that He is the only way to the Father. And I pray that they'll turn to you and be born into the kingdom of God. Father, I pray for all Christians who might be in this room who struggle. Is there life after death? Father, remind us that we can't become a child of God until we become like a child and trusting God that whatever He says He has and will do, He will. And Father, I pray that You will help us to believe in that place that your Son has prepared for us. Father, in these moments of invitation, I pray that you will speak to hearts and that people would be drawn unto you, the lost would be saved, that we as Christians would be reassured that we're on the way home because of our Savior. In his name I pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is number 436, Where He Leads Me. God is working with your heart. Would you surrender to him this day? Would you trust him as your personal Savior? And if he is your Savior, would you trust him with your eternity? Let us stand together as we sing. If God leads you to move and come forward, would you come?